Nothing seems to spice up an MMA career like a change in weight class. A move up or down the scale represents a fresh start for fighters. For those who have struggled to climb the top of the ladder, adding or subtracting some pounds might rejuvenate the stalled hopes and dreams of the athlete that has recently hit rough times. For the top contenders and champions, it gives them a new challenge and a chance to cement their legacy. And for those who just want to stay as active as possible, it offers the opportunity to grab a paycheck without going through more ruling weight cuts. In every case, fans tend to get excited for the possibility of new matchups that were previously out of reach. We've had more than a few notable names tease the idea of playing with the scale, and for a variety of reasons, they have yet to come true. I'm Balian from MMA On Point, and this video is brought to you by DraftKings. DraftKings is the place to be for daily fantasy MMA, and they've got an awesome offer heading into UFC 257 if you sign up using the promo code MMA on point. That will put you at the center of the action with a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. More on that later in the video, but for now, these are the 10 most teased weight class changes. Number 10, Nate Diaz at 165. In his more than 16-year spanning record, Nate Diaz has bounced back and forth over the years between 155 and 170 pounds, with only one notable miss against Rory Markham at UFC 177. But he's mainly been a tall lightweight who's had to sacrifice a lot to get down that far since he was never really quite big enough to be a true welterweight. The first fight against Nate Diaz... Speaking of Nate fighting Nate a bigger man, a guy who outweighed him by, I'm going to guess, 40 pounds and had, what, five inches? a reach on him the solution sumo style wrestling why not split the difference and fight at 165 although most organizations don't recognize it as an official weight class it is actually designated as the super lightweight division according to the unified rules but the reasons for this one are obvious diaz has been repeatedly calling for it ever since the time he was fighting connor at 170 and is probably the most consistent big name over the years demanding that weight class the Schmo even made his name initially off of a question about it. What's it going to take to get a 165-pound weight division? A lot of the people want to see it. And when I say people, I mean the Schmo. What do you think? What the fuck just happened? If Dana and the Brass can ever realign the division, we know guys like Nate, among many others, would instantly make it one of the most stacked in the UFC. Book it, Dana! Number 9. Henry Cejudo to featherweight. What's perfect for somebody that already has an Olympic gold medal and two UFC championship belts? Why, a third belt, of course. Henry Cejudo's sudden turn from a highly credentialed and promising prospect to the king of cringe tossing fake snakes into the crowd and wearing crowns to face off was the stuff of legends. With him becoming just the fourth person in promotional history to simultaneously lord over two divisions, Triple C at least teased the idea of making the jump to 145 before settling on the bout with Dominic Cruz at UFC 249, while Alexander Volkanovsky granted Max Holloway an immediate rematch for the featherweight belt. With Volkanovsky standing just two inches taller than Cejudo, this idea seems at least somewhat reasonable. After unexpectedly retiring following his knockout win over Cruz, Cejudo has remained active on social media and interviews calling for the chance to earn his third title. It would not be wise to hold your breath though, Dana White has repeatedly shot down the 
notion, unwilling to bend the knee for Zahudo's payday demands of an octagon return. Also, Volkanovski appears to be focused on his own division as the numerous contenders stack up at 145 and bantamweight continues to grow despite Henry Cejudo's absence. Not to mention that Cejudo's post-retirement callouts have been wildly ridiculous and include Conor McGregor dropping back to 145, undefeated boxer Ryan Garcia and undefeated boxer Jake Paul. Damn, that really hurt to say. Number 8. Habib Namagamadoff to Welterweight to be fair, Habib Namagamadov has repeatedly said he wasn't interested in moving up and down divisions, and being the wonderful fight fans we are, that didn't stop anybody from speculating on what the undefeated Dagestani would look like at 170. And it seemed natural to wonder, Habib has ragdolled some of the greatest names in lightweight with relative ease, using a relentless wrestling-based attack coupled with tremendous strength. The idea of him being able to replicate his success at welterweight doesn't seem far-fetched at all. After all, he did fight 11 times in the division before making his way to the octagon. Additionally, his weight cuts haven't exactly been peaches and cream, with him stepping in heavy versus Abel Trujillo, and then the tiramisu influence cancellation of the cursed Tony Ferguson fight, dropping down to 155 from this reported near 190-pound walk-around weight seemed like it was taking its toll. Still, the Eagle completed his run in the UFC, having never competed outside the 155-pound division. Vision. And perhaps the only man that would be able to lure him back out of retirement would indeed be George St. Pierre. However, he stated that even this fight would have to take place at 155. Number 7. Yoel Romero to light heavyweight. If you said Yoel Romero was the greatest fighter to never win a UFC title, you wouldn't get many arguments against it. The silver medal-winning Olympic wrestler has had his fair share of chances to earn gold in the octagon. Controversial decisions and failures on the scale prevented him from succeeding. With his large muscular frame, history of missing weight, explosive power, and quite frankly, exhausting his options at middleweight, a move up to 205 where he had previously competed before joining the UFC seemed to be the next logical option. There was a point where Romero seemed open to the idea, ahead of UFC 225, where he made himself ineligible to win the middleweight crown for, you guessed it, missing weight. He told fans at Q&A he was winning to challenge then-champion Daniel Cormier at 205. By the time of UFC 241, things had changed as John Jones reclaimed the belt and Romero cited his close friendship with the champion as a reason he wouldn't fight at light heavyweight at all. But with Jones having vacated the belt and moved up to heavyweight and his former opponent, Uriah Hall falling out of the contest, maybe, just maybe, we'll see him at 205. Oh, well, never mind then. Number 6. Demetrius Johnson at Bantamweight Before becoming the poster child for injury woes, Dominic Cruz defended the Bantamweight title against Demetrius Johnson at UFC on Versus 6. Opening up the field for the flyweights, Mighty Mouse began his record-breaking reign as DJ was turning away challenger after challenger. The call for him to return at 135 gained some volume. After Cruz improbably returned from multiple catastrophic injuries to again become the king at Bantamweight, the volume greatly turned up. With a clearly improved overall game, perhaps Mighty Mouse could overcome the clear size disadvantage that stalled him in their first meeting. Both men stated they were willing to make the rematch official, but stopped short of campaigning for it. Cruz acknowledged him as an all-time great fighter, but cited the lopsided scorecards in their bout, while DJ insisted on a pay rise reflective of a champion versus champion super fight. The Dominator instead would go on to defeat Uriah Faber before dropping the belt to his teammate Cody Garbrandt. 
This, of course, then set off a chain reaction of bantamweight champions ready to get their hands on the flyweight belt. Speaking of which, number five, Cody Garbrandt to flyweight. As Demetrius Johnson was getting rid of everyone presented at 125 pounds, several bantamweights voiced their desire to cut the extra 10 and meet Mighty Mouse for the crown. While TJ Dillashaw is normally the name that comes to mind, his rival and former teammate Cody Garbrandt inserted himself into the conversation as well. Before losing the title to Dillashaw at 217, Garbrandt expressed his willingness in making a super fight possible. In fact, a Garbrandt injury that scrapped the original booking at 213 heated up the cross-divisional talk and the the UFC reportedly attempted to strong-arm DJ into taking a fight with Dillashaw. It didn't seem like much of a coincidence when the two 135ers would rematch in the headliner of 227, with Mighty Mouse defending the flyweight title against Cejudo in the co-main event. During that fight week, Garbrandt stated his intention to fight DJ in either division should he reclaim the belt. Unfortunately for him, he'd suffer his second consecutive knockout loss to Dillashaw and follow that up with another concussive defeat to Pedro Munoz months later. However, after rebounding against Hafiala Sunsau, Garbrandt saw the quickest way back to the title was to challenge the now flyweight champion Davison Figueredo to a matchup. However, Garbrandt did indeed catch COVID, and I guess it's no luck for no love. Number 4. Georges Saint-Pierre to middleweight much like a few others on this list, Georges Saint-Pierre dominated his division and is easily the greatest welterweight the sport has ever seen. So, of course, that wasn't good enough, and people have demanded to see him fight elsewhere on the scale. Those calls were the loudest when he was the lighter counterpart to an equally dominant Anderson Silva at middleweight. Both men had done their parts as far as cleaning out their respective divisions, and the style clash seemed too incredible to pass up on. Near the end of both their historic titles, title runs, the questions seem to always direct the champions towards one another. With his strong wrestling game, we all wondered if he'd be able to nullify the creative striking of Silver, in addition to the novelty of having two clear generational talents competing at the same time in such close proximity. But, for one reason or another, it just never happened. Whether a new contender would emerge or Silver would seemingly be punished for a few uninspired performances, the fight would never happen. For GSP, his reasoning stemmed from the difficulty in adding the appropriate level of bulk to be an effective middleweight. Over the four years after Silver was dethroned, GSP ended his own four-year sabbatical to capture the belt from Michael Bisping. He vacated shortly afterwards, citing health issues while maintaining the weight, but there's now a demand for him to drop to 155 and fight Habib Namagamadoff. However, don't get your hopes up, as in classic fashion, Georges St-Pierre remains as cryptic as those crop circles he is so obsessed with. Number 3. Jose Aldo to Lightweight as Jose Aldo dominated the featherweight division in both the WEC and the UFC, he always seemed at his worst for wear at weigh-ins. With a drawn-in face and at times struggling to stand up straight, the clock seemed to be ticking on his days at 1.45. When then-top lightweight contender Anthony Pettis signed to fight Aldo in his featherweight debut, the champion who had long flirted with the idea mandated that he'd be rewarded with a shot at the 155-pound belt should he win. However, the fight didn't materialize and he'd continue his work defending it for the wait until Conor McGregor and Max Holloway came along. With age seeming to make the cut even more difficult and the featherweight title pitcher moving on without him, it looked like it was finally time to see him with an extra 10 pounds on his frame. Plus, there was the chance of luring McGregor into a rematch at lightweight, in addition to the many other fighters at 155 who would have proved incredible style matchups and potential legacy fights. As 2019 came to a close, we did get to see the form 
former featherweight king try out a different division, but his move was in the opposite direction. When news broke of his bantamweight ambitions, there were, of course, concerns. However, he apparently made the cut with no nutritional help and has looked fantastic despite losing to Marlon Moraes and a fight of the year contender against Peter Yarn. Good job, Aldo. Number two. Chris Cyborg at Bantamweight. With Ronda Rousey tearing through every woman put in front of her, the search for a viable challenger was on. Olympic gold medalists, former champions, and undefeated challengers were all sent packing in highlight reel fashion. But while the mainstream media was ooing and ahhing over the UFC's first female star, the hardcores would quickly point out the dominance of Chris Cyborg's, which predated Rousey's title run by years, with the Brazilian collecting belts in Strikeforce and Invicta. So, of course, in imaginations ran wild, trying to pair the women against one another. Both Rousey and Dana White were publicly leading the charge. The outspoken promoter and one of the biggest stars in combat sports proved to be a great combination in pressuring Cyborg to make a trip 10 pounds further down the scale while shooting down any notion of a catchweight or Rousey returning to 145. The only problem was this little thing called reality. Cyborg, who was walking around as heavy as 185 pounds at one time, simply couldn't make the weight. After Rousey found her kryptonite in Holly Holm, the appetite for a cyborg fight largely went away as her powerful and striking acumen would have likely yielded similar results. When Cyborg finally made her way to the UFC for a pair of catchweight 140-pound bouts, a blend of her both looking shredded and the agonizing weight cut videos had fans wondering where the extra five pounds would even come from. Number one, John Jones to heavyweight. Ever since he debuted in the UFC in 2008 as a 6-0 prospect, he tore through the light heavyweight division. Becoming the youngest champion in promotional history and piling on title defenses, Jones added a who's who of former belt holders and legends to his resume. Names like Lyoto Machida, Rashad Evans, Rampage, and Daniel Cormier among them. Even with his numerous extracurricular missteps, it feels as though he has cleaned out the division on several occasions. Combined with his 6-foot-4-inch frame and his record-setting 84.5-inch reach, it's only natural to wonder if Jones' success would translate well to an increase in weight. The intrigue certainly wasn't lost to Jones, who has constantly dangled the heavyweight carrot in front of the fans. Dating as far back as 2012, the light heavyweight champion publicly stated intentions to test the waters with bigger men, and now it seems it is ready to happen. Fueled in part by the success of his aforementioned rival and former two-division champ DC, the GOAT talks of centering around Habib Namagame off and a self-stated lack of motivation at 205. It appears he will fulfill that years-old promise, officially vacating the light heavyweight crown and focusing on proper strength and conditioning. We are just waiting for a fight announcement. Fight fans, I want to thank DraftKings one more time for sponsoring this video. Fantasy MMA is a blast. I've been doing it for years and it's going to make UFC 257 that much more fun. And there are millions of dollars in total prizes up for grabs. Playing is so simple. You've got a $50,000 salary cap to work with. You pick six fighters that each have their own assigned salary. You put your squad together under that $50,000 cap and you've got a team. So, say I want Conor McGregor being a more high value fighter, I'm going to need to find a way to offset that. Maybe I'll take someone like Marina Rodriguez, who is an underdog. I think she has a solid chance, and now I can afford Connor on my squad. Once you've got your team, watch them rack up fantasy points on Saturday night for advances, takedowns, knockdowns, and more. The full rules and scoring can be found on DraftKings.com forward slash MMA. 
New users use the promo code MMA on point during sign up and get a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. There are millions of dollars in total prizes up for grabs all week long. Shout out to Ben Rosette and the excellent music he provided during the intro video. His music can be found on streaming platforms everywhere. There is a link in the description and follow him at Ben Rosette on Instagram and on Twitter. Thank you to the writer of today's video, Rob Palin. You can follow him on Twitter at the Robert Palin. A shout out to today's video editor, Thomas Walsh. You can follow him on Instagram at Big Beat Visual. Thank you very much for watching everyone today. Please go ahead and like and subscribe if you did enjoy the content. We upload at least three videos every week for your viewing pleasure. Go ahead and leave a comment below if you want to join in the discussion and follow us on Twitter at MMA on point and myself at Balian underscore plays. You can now jump in and join the community discord as well if you want to continue the discussion further. And I hope you've enjoyed yourselves. I'll see you in the next one.